The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Psalm 124, good to see you. I'm excited for you, excited for all the students, especially the freshmen as you start out. I have a, uh, a daughter who's a sophomore, Mikhail. I have a son who's a freshman, Mark. Great guy, you ought to meet him. Not everybody at once, but Mark's a great young man. In fact, Dr. Shoemaker, I think you can relate with this. Um, I dropped Mark off at uh, Rice Tower, you know, to drop him off for college. I wanted, to, I wanted to have this dad speech, you know, this memorable dad speech. And we lived six minutes from campus. We, we knew we were, I'm going to see Mark all the time. So all I could come up with is, do us proud. I love you. See you in church tonight. That's all I could come up <laughs> So, Mark, I'm sorry about that. But anyway, um, I'm excited for you. Excited about this message, Psalm 124. And the title of the message is Glorious De- Deliverance. Glorious Deliverance. I know this is an odd illustration, but stay with me, okay? A little bizarre. But let's say, let's say you're walking down the sidewalk, just minding your own business, and two guys drive up, and they, they grab you, abduct you, and throw you in the, into a van, and then they take you off to some undisclosed location, and they tie you to a chair, and they're holding you for ransom, okay? Everybody with me on that? Just get into that, all right? So you're there in the chair, tied in the chair, and uh, they're, they're holding you for ransom. So they call your parents, and they say, if you want to see your son or your daughter again, you need to pay us, I don't know, what, what, what would your parents pay? <laughs> 20 bucks, no. Uh, you need to pay us whatever. Okay, so, so uh, you're there, tied to the chair. They've got guns. What would you do? What would you do? You say, Pastor Zach, I got guns right here, man. No. no. Um, you would pray for deliverance. That's what you would do. If you were held like that with two, two men with guns, uh, you, you have an overwhelming force over you. You would pray for deliverance. You would say, Lord, please help me. You would say, when are the police going to show up? And that's the image we have in Psalm 124. We don't know exactly the circumstance, but David and the nation of Israel were in this, in this situation. And God delivered them. Now, you may, you may feel this way spiritually. You may feel like you're tied to some temptation or bound to some sin. You say, man, I can't, I can't stop this. I keep doing this. I, I might as well resign myself to this thing because I'm completely overwhelmed by it. I have good news for you this morning. God is in the deliverance business. The Bible is replete of stories where God comes through for his people. And he destroys the enemies of God's people. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this passage and relate it to our uh, dealing with our enemy, Satan, and his overwhelming temptation in our life. The immediate context is David, the nation of Israel, and God delivering them from their surrounding enemies. But we're going to apply this to God's deliverance from our great enemy Satan and his enticement to evil in our life. So let's look at the passage quickly. Let's go down through all eight verses of Psalm 124. And here's what it says. If, not, if, 
it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters had overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as a prey to their teeth. Our soul is escaped. There it is, deliverance. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Read verse 8 with me out loud if you would. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Once again, everyone, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. First of all, I want you to notice from the passage the potency of the enemy. I want you to notice the potency of the enemy. The strength of the enemy of the nation of Israel is compared to three things in the passage. Would you notice them? First of all, we see that the enemy is compared to a fire in verse 3. And this speaks of overwhelming, permanent devastation. This speaks of permanent devastation. Look at verse 3. It says, Then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was, what's the next word? Kindled against us. Kindled from the Hebrew word uh, meaning blazed up, flamed up. So they're compared to a fire. They were so overwhelming, they were about to swallow us up like a fire. When their wrath was kindled against us, they almost swallowed us whole. And so this speaks to permanent devastation. I find it interesting that this kind of imagery is also used in the Old Testament concerning hell and the grave. Hell, we know, is a fire. And then the Bible says in two passages at least that hell and the grave swallow up people quick and suddenly. And we know hell is permanent. And so what's, what's Satan's design? His design is for people to go to hell. And beyond that, you say, I'm saved. He's not, he, well, he's, he's upset about that. He said, boy, I didn't get them. But now his design for your life is, is permanent destruction. Permanent destruction. Get that in your mind. You have an enemy and he's out for your permanent destruction. He wants to swallow you up quick. And his, the wrath, his, fire is, uh, his wrath is like a fire that's kindled against us and God. He can't get at God personally, but he gets at the people God loves. So we see a fire. We see the enemy compared to a fire, speaking of permanent devastation. We see the enemy compared to a flood, speaking of powerful devastation. Look at verses 4 and 5. Then the waters, there it is, had overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. This enemy was so powerful. The, the overwhelming force of this enemy, it was like a flood. I went on history.com just to look at the, uh, America's most ca- uh, catastrophic floods. And uh, I saw this one uh, um, story, account about a flood in Pennsylvania where this large lake uh, had received rain over many days and the dam broke. And 16 million tons of water flowed from this dam down on this town and swept the whole town away and the people inside. 
And so that's what David's describing here. And let's understand this about our enemy. Satan is an overwhelming force. If we think we can hold up to the devil, we're deluded. The book of Revelation says, Michael, the highest archangel, doesn't even resist Satan without the help of God. And so if we think we can handle it and handle him, we're deluded. We need help. He is a powerful force. He's the most beautiful and powerful created being of God, Satan. And he's out for our destruction. The last one, we see a fire. We see a fire, this permanent destruction. We see a a flood, powerful devastation. And then we see a fowler, speaking of personal devastation. Let's look at verse 7. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. That's someone who traps birds. Verse 6, I think, goes along with this. There's, Satan's like a trapper. This is how we would apply it. David's saying, this, these people are trapping us. They're trying, to, they're trying to eat us alive. And we would apply it this way. Satan is a trapper. We are the birds. We were made to soar. We were made to sing for God. But we're weak. We're easy to entrap. Because of hunger, we fly into traps. Because of carelessness, we fly into nets. Satan is like a roaring lion roaming the earth, seeking whom he may devour. And so he traps us. He traps us with enticement. And he has some special enticement for people your age. He has some for people my age. He has general enticement, but he has some special enticement for people your age. And so he's, he's seeking to entrap you. He's putting traps out there. He says to us, this is good for you. This won't harm you. This will make you happy and fulfilled. Come this way. And we fly into these traps of compulsion, of habit, addiction, dominion, and lasting consequence. It's a sad picture here. The enemy, the enemy surrounding us is more powerful than us. And we can't stand against him alone. And David said, that's what we're facing here with these people, these nations around us, these armies. So we see the potency of the enemy. Number two, we see the power of the deliverer. Don't you like how the passage starts? He said, the Lord's on our side. If it, not, if it had not been for the Lord being on our side, we were done. David said all this devastation would have happened had not the Lord been on our side. And so here's the great news. God is greater than any power on the earth. 1 John 4, 4, say it if you know it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? Not not Satan. God's more powerful than Satan. Which begs the question, how do we get God on our side? Okay, how do we get God on our side? Now, I want you to notice something. Every, Every word in the Bible is important. So let's read verse 1 again, okay? Let's look at it again. And if you circle words in your Bible or just highlight or whatever, look at this one word. Verse 1, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, here's the word, now 
may Israel say, which is an interjection that's very important. Here's, I'm paraphrasing, what he's saying is, now that we are delivered, we can say that God did it. Now that we're delivered, we can say God did it. Now this is an important point, because this keeps us from thinking that God isn't on our side in the sense that we can just have an agenda, have a purpose, have a plan, and expect because of our association with God, he's got to be for it. He's got to go along with it. Remember, remember uh, the scene in, in the playground when you were picking basketball teams? Okay, so you're, you're in the playground. I can picture this in sixth grade. We're out in the playground. We're pitting, picking teams for basketball. And you're thinking, there's this one kid, he's tall, he's athletic, and everybody's saying, if we can just get him on our team, we're going to win. I was, I was the other, I was the, <laughs> I was the one that was at the end there, they're going, okay, Tim, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, come on, we'll take you. No one else is left, okay? So, but you're thinking, man, if we can get that kid on our team, oh, wow. If, if we can just get him, if we get the first pick. If you're chosen captain, if I get the first pick, I'm picking him. If I get him on the team, we're going to win. We might, we might assume, we might assume I, we're, we're the children of God, we're associated with God, so God just has, has to come through all the time. That's not biblical. Now, is God for us? Yes. Are we on his side in a sense in that way? Yes. Is our association important? Yes. But you can't come to God and go, I got this plan, relationship plan, I got this career plan, I've got this future plan, and I need you to come on board with it. That's not the way we do it. We go to God first. We go to God first. The pastors here can relate with this. People come to your office for pastoral counseling, and they've already made up their mind. They're not coming for counseling. They just want a religious justification for what they're doing, and they want the pastor to sign off on it. They've already got their plans. They already know what they want to do. Instead, we come to God and we say, here's the better question. Let's put this up on the screen. Here's the better question. How do we get on God's side? We want the Lord on our side, so I'm going to get on God's side. And how do we do that? Well, of course, we become his children. We answer his invitation, his call to salvation. He promises to never leave us. But then the Bible says in James chapter 4, we have to keep close communion with him or we could be at enmity with him because of our worldliness and spiritual adultery. We're in a place of enmity. Even though we're his children, he's not working for us. Because we're working against him. And so that passage says what? Submit to God. This is important, the order. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. It doesn't say resist the devil. He will flee from you. The devil laughs at that. It says submit to God. Then resist the devil. And he will flee from you. And I found this out in my own life. When I give myself to God in complete uh, um, dependence and I trust in him wholly and I pray for his deliverance and help concerning temptation, I, put, I, put, I ask him to help me to put in practice practical steps to avoid it. I use the word of God like Jesus did to fight off temptation. I memorize scripture concerning my besetting sin. I pray 
I use the scripture. And in a position of close communion, I say to Satan in a sense, you have to leave. You're not getting me today. You are not getting me today. And you pray for me, I'll pray for you. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. Because I could make one mistake, you know what I mean? And ruin my ministry for the rest of my ministry. Could ruin my family life, my testimony with my children, my testimony at campus church, my testimony in community. Please don't get me wrong, God could restore me and I could come back to some level of blessing. But I need to say to Satan, not today. You're not doing this today. I'm not falling for this today. And the Bible says here and in other passages, our help is in the name of the Lord. Look at verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Not that we can just use the name of God as some magic formula to get whatever we want. Some, some, some think that's what John 4.14 says when it says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus said that. He's not saying you can just go to God and say, I want a Lamborghini in the name of the Lord. And you walk outside and there's a Lamborghini. I don't know why I always bring up Lamborghinis. I think I want one. Anyway. But if you pray in the name of the Lord, what you're doing is you're identifying with Jesus humbly. You're praying according to his authority and purpose. You're praying on the basis of his nature and character, which assumes you want his purpose and you're interested in what he's doing and him alone. And when you pray that way, Satan has to go. Didn't Jesus say this in the Garden of Gethsemane? And, and he said it again. He said, pray that you enter not into temptation. He didn't say pray that you're not tempted. That's impossible. But pray that you enter not into it. Then he says, pray in the model prayer, deliver us from evil. Why would I pray that? Unless God could do that. He does. He delivers us from evil. God will give you the courage. He'll give you the strength to walk away. An overwhelming force of temptation. You ever been there? Overwhelming. Where you say, boy, I'm surrounded here. Satan is strong today. This is big. I'm feeling the enticement. I'm feeling the pull. It's like gravity. But you can, through the power of God, walk away. You can walk away from the people that are tempting you. And you might have to walk away in a sense, from a close communion with them permanently. I had to do it when I was your age. You can walk away from the places that you're overwhelmed with temptation. You can say, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Every time I go there, that's what happens. You can walk away from the practices and make no provision for your flesh so you don't fulfill the lust thereof. And so you make it so hard on yourself that you can't sin by walking away from certain practices that lead to temptation. You can walk away. You and I can walk away. God will deliver us because he's more powerful than Satan. And so we see the potency of the enemy, the power of the deliverer. Here's a subtle point that I want to end with. The position of the believer as I was reading through this passage, I noticed the use of plural pronouns. Let's look at them. Uh, verse 1, our side. Verse 2, our side. 
Verse 3, then they had swallowed us up quick. Their wrath was kindled against us. You say, well, of course, Pastor Zach. He's talking about, he's not just talking about himself. He's talking about the whole nation of Israel. But then you see this surprising blending of the plural and the singular. Let's see it in verse 4. Then the waters had overwhelmed us. There's plural. The stream had gone over our, not our souls, our soul. We call this the first person common plural. Uh, He said, our collective soul as a people. Verse 7, our soul is escaped. Verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord. And I think there's a, a point to be made here. In our culture, we like to emphasize the first person singular. And there's a place for that. My rights, my choice, my plans, my opinions, my truth. Even in Christianity, my beliefs, my ministry, my church, my preferences, there's a place for that. Maybe we should emphasize the plural a little more. Our Father, which art in heaven, our heritage, our church, our family, our college, God's people. Our soul. You see, personal salvation is not an end in itself. God calls us into communion and community with his body, the church in the New Testament. David says here, our help is in the name of the Lord and God delivered us collectively. Our soul collectively. John said in 1 John, I'm writing this to you that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father. Paul wrote to the Philippian church about the fellowship of the gospel that they experienced from the first day until now, he said. And then, of course, Hebrews 10, 25 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching, the day of Christ. Why why is that important? Because it's going to get worse and worse and increasingly evil. So how can you be in fellowship with God if you're not in fellowship with his church? He said, you need to be in fellowship with his church. If you're going to be in fellowship with me, you have to be in fellowship with my body. Just makes sense, right? If you love me, you love my body, the church. And you stay close and stay close more as you see it getting more evil and more evil and more evil. We need God. We need each other. And together we are stronger in the fellowship of believers, in in the context of God's people, in the gathering of God's people, we find God's strength. Think of all the one another passages in the New Testament. Greet one another, love one another, care for one another, comfort, edify, bear your burdens one to another, pray for one another, serve one another, prefer one another. I think this passage is a subtle point But I think this passage is showing us that we can expect deliverance in the context of the community of God's people. Yes, there's a place for individual 
But there's also a collective idea of deliverance. And a Christian out of fellowship with that is an easy target for the devil. He said, the Lord is on our side. Our side. And so the glory of God's people is to escape the designs of the devil. He works that He works that in our lives individually. He works that in our lives together. Satan is strong. He is stronger. And if we seek his help through the word, through prayer, through close fellowship with our God, we will experience in this life glorious deliverance. We will be able to walk away from besetting sins and temptations and enticements and live a pure life. It's possible to be pure in our day. It's possible. Because with God, it's possible. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? My encouragement to you today is don't succumb to temptation when God has promised deliverance. Don't be swallowed up by the fire. Don't be overwhelmed by the flood. Don't be trapped by the fowler. Satan is strong, but God is stronger. And so if you're experiencing that bondage to sin, you feel bound to it, tied to it, overwhelmed by it. The enticement of Satan is so strong in your life. Pray in the name of Jesus. Pray for deliverance. Draw close to God's people in this evil day because the Lord is on our side. The Lord is on our side. And we can be pure. And we can be victorious. We can live for God. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.